Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 181st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, just got in from a uh, early morning trip from uh, Southern Oregon, feeling mighty fine after being in the car for five plus hours, and uh, here we are doing a podcast, and we look fucking stupid. Uh, that's a bit harsh. This team has been... The epitome uh, of Jekyll and Hyde. When you think they're going to lose, they win. When you think they're going to start playing well, they kind of lay an egg. So I think predicting how this team is going to perform probably over the next 20 games, you have a better chance just going down to the casino and picking red or black on on the roulette table. Because that's almost what it feels like right now is a 50-50 chance. But they are heading in the right direction they're coming off of a 3-0 week, bringing their record to 8-12 on the season. They had wins over the Bulls in Chicago to end that six-game road trip. They ended up beating the Bulls 117-94. They followed that up uh, with their first game back off that road trip Wednesday night against the Thunder, absolutely dismantling OKC 136-119. to and then they had a little bit of a post-Thanksgiving letdown, but were still able to come out on top, defeating the Bulls yet again, 107-103. Sage, the Blazers are 8-12 and on the season, and 10th in the West, just a game in the standings behind the Phoenix Suns for the 8th and final playoff spot. It looks like there is wiggle room to keep maneuvering and working their way up, but the Blazers have got a 1, protect the home court, and two, take it day by day. What have you seen over this week that has led you to believe the team is starting to turn the corner? Our wing play is really improved with Mello. I mean, obviously. But Rodney Hood being healthy helps as well. One thing that I've noticed throughout the year is on those pick and rolls, and we wrote in pick and roll a lot, the three and the four man cheat and go on to Hassan Whiteside every time he's the roll man. So with Rodney Hood and Carmelo healthy and playing, you can't cheat off of them and go and double and triple Hassan because you're leaving two dead-eye shooters open. So the spacing, those three games have been really, really nice with Hassan being the role man, those other three players spotting up, and the and Dame working his magic. It, the spacing has been improved, and that means that Hassan Whiteside's floor is raised and the ceiling's obviously raised with the 10-block game, I really think that this Mello and Rodney Hood pairing in the perimeter is going to work out really, really well just because you can't leave Mello. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. You can't leave him to go and hedge on Hassan as he rolls. So it's going to be clear, more clear lanes for him, more open shots for the Wings and CJ. It, it, the spacing just looks right. And isn't this what Neil Olshay envisioned when he started to put this team together? Obviously, we have had Damon CJ for six, seven years, and the knock on building that backcourt together was, well, 
they're just going to double team you and force you to kick it out to non-shooters. Well, that was the risk that we took in moving Amo Harkless and letting Chief Aminu walk in free agency was to let the defenses know we're not going to get beat in that same way anymore. If you want to <clears> double Dame or CJ, we're going to have a big in the middle who can finish. We're going to have two guys, one's a future Hall of Famer who can score on the three or in the post. And then we're going to kick it out to another wing who's finally healthy, finally confident, and shooting about 50% from three in Rodney Hood, who has just been absolutely lights out. And you can tell that he is supremely confident in the way he's taken his jump shot. And he had a shot against the shot clock against the Bulls, I think, in the third or fourth quarter that continually uh, helped us maintain that lead. And it was just fading away, probably a step inside that three-point line, and he just rose up with confidence and just let it fly. And he knew it was good as soon as he let it go. And that's how you have a dynamic offense. In today's NBA, you have to have five players on the court that the defenses have to really think about, and you have to make them make you know quick judgments and quick decisions on who they want to defend. If your defense doesn't offer, or excuse me, if your offense doesn't make the defense have to say, Oh, which poison am I going to pick? It's going to be a long season for you. So this is really the the Blazers that I envisioned. I think we all probably thought it would be Zach Collins in, instead of Carmelo Anthony. Obviously, you get more of a defensive presence with Big Z and Melo's providing the pop on offense. But regardless, you're getting a solid contributor in that starting lineup where you know you're not trotting out a 19 year old rookie in this or little. You're not trotting out uh, Anthony Tolliver. Who's, who's struggling from the floor or Mario Hazonia, who just hasn't found his footing yet. You're putting in a bona fide Hall of Famer who is still able to get you 20 to 25 points on any given night. And then you're also bringing in Rodney Hood, who still hasn't played a full calendar season with this team. And I expect him to really only get better. And what's best, the best thing, the number one thing I noticed about this week, they look like they're having fun again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for all our listeners who listened to our Throwback Thursday episode this summer, we talked about the 92 Blazers. And they made it all the way to the finals, uh, losing in six to the Chicago Bulls. But in the two games that we really detailed, games two and four, which were both Blazer wins, in game four we talked about how much pressure they looked like they were putting upon themselves internally. They didn't look like they were having a good time. You could tell it in their body language. You could tell it in their shot selection. And it just looked like it was a chore and they just want would rather be anywhere else. They just want to win and, and get away from the game. Mm. The Blazers had that look to them for the majority of this season. It, it, they knew they were talented. The shots weren't dropping. They continued to get you know setbacks. They would take a step forward and maybe get a Carmelo Anthony. But then they would have to take a couple steps back because you know Hassan would miss a game or two. Rodney would miss a game or two. Then, then Dame had his back spasms. But it finally all came together against the Chicago Bulls and the Windy City when it was the first time that Hassan, Dame, CJ, Rodney, and Mello were a five-man unit out on the floor. And they just looked like they were having fun. I mean, Mello went off for 25. Everyone's doing three to the dome. I mean, just it looked like a really happy bunch of basketball players playing the sport that they grew up loving. And I think that really came across in their performances this week. They're looking like they're revitalized like Melo gave them that that shot in the arm that they needed to say okay we are a good team the season isn't lost let's take it one at a time and just let the cards fall where they may be you look at what our team has dealt with in the past and it's like 
you can leave Kent Bazemore. You can leave Mario Hazonia. You can leave Anthony Tolliver because he hasn't proven it to you. So it, the spacing made it so people could do what they do best offensively, whether it be Hassan rim running it, whether it be Dame doing work, CJ getting his own shot, Mello fucking dominating. Like that spacing gave everybody a chance to shine. And what I liked the most about these three games they looked like they were happy for each other. You saw Dame celebrating Mello. You saw the team celebrate Hazan's 10 blocks. You see everybody being happy for one another. And that's like that shows some good camaraderie for the rest of this year. Just this team genuinely likes each other. And now that there's proper spacing, they can actually run an efficient offense. Mello's help with rebounding, man. We're not getting dominated on the, the boards. Like He got 10 the last game, and that's huge just because it was Hassan with his, and then the next person with four. We get a lot more production from that power forward position with Mello. And, like, yo, you see him. He still has passion for the game, and he still has the ability to drop 20 and contribute in a really, really meaningful way against team against NBA teams. This next week is going to be a real test, but, yo, so far he's looked like a shining star amongst, you know, what was – last week a lost season like this this dude's looking fantastic and the team is really happy and cheering for each other we are unfortunately kind of kind of shallow in the the talent department but this starting five is putting up numbers and it's a real beautiful thing to see because it was it was kind of rough out there when there wasn't that spacing for dame and cj to operate as efficiently as they can so before the season, one of our fans asked us, you know, obviously the 20-game stretch, 13 of the first 18 on the road, what our prediction was. And I wrote it down. You said 12 and 8, and I said 14 and 6. Obviously, obviously we're sitting here at 8 and 12, but I went back through the schedule before we recorded, and there were nine games that were losses that, in my opinion, could have been wins. You have the San Antonio game, the first one, where Dame's three doesn't go in at the buzzer, which would have forced overtime. You have the game against Philadelphia, where we blew a 22-point third quarter lead. Mm-hmm. You have the game at Golden State, where they played five basically G League players that we had no business losing. The Clippers, that following Thursday, six-point lead, but three minutes left in that fourth quarter. Could have closed that one out. Then you come back home. Dame drops 60 against the Brooklyn Nets. Don't finish that one either. Uh, you go to the Kings the second time around. They're playing without Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox. That that has to be a victory. Uh, you look at the Toronto Raptors. The Blazers jump out on them, I think, 15, 15 or so points, and they play well all the way up and through the third quarter. They let that fourth quarter slip away. You got the Pelicans. Melo's debut. They were missing a lot of players. That's a team that's below you in the standings that really hasn't played good basketball this year. And then we have the, the debacle that was the Cleveland Cavaliers game a couple of Saturdays ago where they were without Kevin Love. They had lost by 40 the night before, and you just didn't bring it. There's nine games there. I'm not saying the Blazers should be 17-3, and three, but you just get even five of those mm, games, five, five of the four. Mm-hmm. You're looking at 13 and eight, and uh, excuse me, seven, 13 and seven. So that would have split what... what I'm just saying that would have split what we mm. thought we were going to be after 20 games preseason. So we weren't that far off. The Blazers have left a lot of winnable games on the table. And can it come back to hurt them? Yeah, probably. It's going to be a very difficult 
task to get home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. But, you know, right now at 13 and seven, you're probably fighting with the Clippers, Dallas and Houston for at least the three through five seeds in the West. So you dug yourself a hole. But as we've talked about in this podcast, that's then you can't really change the past. You have to, to look ahead and see if you can really start to work your way back up that mountain and target teams above you that you know you can pass. Sacramento, young, haven't made the playoffs, I believe, since 2006. Uh, Phoenix, really young team, brought in a new coach and they've been playing well with Ricky Rubio, but they still don't know how to win collectively as a bunch. The same thing could be said for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you want to look at a team that I think is not getting as much attention negatively nationally as maybe the Blazers are is the Utah Jazz. I mean, you're looking at a team that's just 12 and seven, four and six away from home. They had championship aspirations. Mm. I mean, think about how we would be feeling right now if we were 12 and seven with no injuries. They are a healthy bunch and they still can't find a way to win outside of, of Salt Lake City. So things could be worse. And, and we've discussed this on this podcast. If the Blazers can ever get healthy, and obviously it starts with the group that they have right now because you want to be in rhythm once you start adding in adding in your pieces like Nurkic and Collins. But you want to be healthy. And if you can, we're matching our five up against any other five in the Western Conference. You know, name the time, date, and place. Like, we'll, we'll go. I'll put my squad up against your five. And I like my team's chances. So 20 games have not been how we had planned in the preseason, but we're here now and we look like we're building some momentum. I think it's important that the Blazers look long-term, view the season as a marathon and just take it in, you know, four to eight game chunks. We have, I think, 10 of 14 uh, remaining at home. December is a very home-friendly month. Mm-hmm. Let's protect that home court that we know and love so much and start to make some hay in this Western Conference race. Yeah, I mean, shit. A lot of teams have had disappointing players. Like if you, you brought up Utah. Mike Conley hasn't been assisting or scoring like you thought. Joe Ingles has turned into a shell of himself. At least we're getting healthy and there's a lot of positive momentum for us. A lot of teams don't have that. They're like it's uh, they. A lot of teams have underperforming players. We have injuries that is has been our Achilles heel this year. And especially when you bring in, you know, seven to nine new players, mm-hmm. that's already going to be a steep learning curve. But it seemed like every time we got someone healthy, someone else went out. I mean, Rodney Hood, we talked about, has missed time this year. He's had think, like three different scary injuries, hasn't he? Yeah. And I think CJ is really the only player that has seen CJ and, and Simons are like the only two consistent players that have been in the in the rotation every game throughout the season. Every other person has either been hurt or not performed well enough to stay in the rotation. So it just goes to show like we're, we're 25% of the way through the season. Uh, there's still a lot more season left. Mm-hmm. Injuries are a big name of the game. And, you know, we've had our fair share. Who knows what else could happen for the rest of the league. And obviously you don't want anyone to get hurt, but, but it's the name of the game. And they, they do happen. There's no, ways around it unfortunately so the Blazers kind of have to really just look at themselves and not the rest of the league and just try to get better on a day-by-day basis it's November but it feels like March when it comes to like late 
scratches and injuries. It has been a very injury plagued year, especially late, like uh, late in the like day type of injuries where people have either been hurt or you know family emergencies. A lot of people have been out this ga- this year, and oh, it, it's it's made the NBA a little nuts with like how. You know, you you assume Derek Favors is playing one day and then he's not. So there's just been so many damn injuries. It's just the name of the game. This year, there's a shitload of injuries that teams are going to have to adjust to. Like, damn near every team has a major injury. We just happen to have two. So we've discussed about Carmelo Anthony and his impact quite ex- extensively over the course of the last couple of podcasts. And... Over his, his six-game tenure in Portland, averaging 17.7 points, six boards, 2.2 assists, shooting 46% from the field, and 37 from from downtown. His performance, his performance against the OKC Thunder shot 9 of 11. That was his most efficient shooting outing of his entire career. I, I, I can't lie. I, I can't say I foresaw this coming. No. Did anybody see this happening? Like, and it's not the numbers, it's how he's playing. He maybe takes one shot per game where you're just like, ah, that, that's kind of vintage mellow in the sense of forced it, the ball stuck in his hands. But for the most part, and this is 90% of his, his time on the floor, he's making the unselfish move. He's making the right pass, whether it's a hockey assist or a, a kick out or a drive and dish for a dunk. He's playing good defense. He's rebounding extremely well. He looks active. He looks happy. He has been a joy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no other way to put it. And I think everyone is saying, oh, what if Portland had gotten, you know, mellow two years ago when we really wanted him? It, I don't think it works like this. Him Do you going think through the, the his journey. Ex- Absolutely. I mean, he going through those experiences in OKC. That first round exit to Utah. Okay, then I'm going to go to Houston and get cut. You know, this is a Hall of Fame player getting cut, saying, hey, your services are no longer needed through 10 games. And then waiting and waiting over a calendar year to finally get your shot at redemption. And he's seeing, you know, last year Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade getting those farewell tours. And he's like, I don't necessarily want a farewell tour right now, but I should be in the league. Mm -hmm. So I think he had to go through what he had to go through for him to be where he's at right now. I think it really put the game into perspective and I think he's changed the way he's played. He's still a lethal scorer, but he's doing it in such an unselfish manner. He realizes that the team doesn't revolve around mellow and that he is going to be a, he is a big piece to the puzzle but he's not the Dame piece. He's not the CJ piece. He knows, okay, I need to be this guy. I need to be a, a bonafide third option. I'm going to get my, you know, 10 plus shots a night, but there's a responsibility that I have to my teammates to get them shots as well, because I know I still have an aura about me where defenses still fear and respect me and they're not just going to leave me open. So mm-hmm. I need to do what's right for my teammates. And I, I think he's finding the love of the game. Like that's what he was searching for. And you can tell that he is just, he looks like a kid out there. Like he just looks like a kid playing, you know, school ball and he's playing with all of his friends and that's all that matters to him. 
and, and it really comes across like that touch pass to Scal. That was beautiful against the Bulls. I mean, just gorgeous. He had so many times over this these these last three games where he got the ball in the post, and I was like, oh, he's going to go up and he'll get a nice little hook shot. And it might have been uh, slightly contested, but nobody would have batted an eye if he shot it. No, he gets the defense to converge on him, and he kicked it out to Hoodie for like three three-pointers. And I was like, damn, that that is an incredibly unselfish and smart basketball play. I don't think we talk about his IQ mm-hmm. as much as we should. I mean, everyone knows how good of a scorer he is, but the dude knows the game, and he's making all the right moves. I don't expect him to keep those percentages over the course of the season, I mean, if he does, that's great. What I want to see continue is just that style of play where he's he's one of five and not just one of one. My question is, if he even keeps up this rate of you know usage and scoring, is there anyone that gets negatively affected by it? Like maybe a CJ because there's another person that needs the ball in their hands to be as lethal as possible. Do you, could you see that CJ's production goes down because of Melo and Hassan getting more usage? <sighs> because it kind of I, happened last year. I mean, year if you're third. looking, if you're, t- if you're talking in terms of points per game, yes, but I think you're going to see a more efficient CJ McCollum. I think you're going to see CJ start to play more like Dame is playing recently where he now gets to pick his spots where he wants to attack. He doesn't have to say, shit, there's only me and Dame out here. You know, we're down by six in the first already first quarter. I got to just do what I can to get to the line just to get a shot up. There's less pressure on him to make things happen when you have other scores around you. I mean, we saw this with the Warriors when they had their big three and they added Durant. I mean, they could really just roll the dice and say, okay, Clay, it's your turn. Okay, Kevin, you go now. Oh, Steph, you haven't shot in a while. That's how it's kind of looking for the Blazers because defenses now just can't collapse on one or two players. I mean, you, you spoke about CJ. I mean, he had three really solid games against uh, these opponents. Eight of 16 for 21 points the first time against Chicago. Eight of 16, 22 points against the Thunder. 7 of 14, 20 points. So he's shooting he's 50%. He's very efficient really right now. Yes. And the what I loved about CJ and why I think he's going to become more efficient is what happened those first two possessions against the Oklahoma City Thunder. We ran that pick and roll with Damon Hassan. The defense has converged on Dame. They collapsed on him. He dumped it into Hassan. He dove for the rim. Defense has, again, collapsed on Hassan. What did he do? Kicked it out. CJ spot up corner three. Second time around, same thing, opposite corner, CJ, wide open three. If we can get CJ more Clay Thompson type of shots, that is going to make not only CJ's life more easier, but it's going to make the team's life easier. Because if you get CJ open looks, I mean, he's already so good with a hand in his face, you know, contested jumper. He is one of the best pure shooters in the game that that we have seen. So if he gets better, more efficient looks from the outside, I mean, I think that's only going to take his efficiency and his performance to the next level. Yeah, he may average, you know, two to three less points per game, but he's going to be probably taking, you know, maybe four or five less shots per game. And those are going to get spread out across the team. And I mean, once you hit a few middies or or three pointers, that basket's looking pretty big. So he can take those more difficult shots and has the confidence like, oh, I've already made six. I'm feeling good today. It's like this could this will this is going in. 
you know, it, it, but it, it, in my opinion, is something to watch for because we saw we saw this story when we when we brought when Nurk ascended to where he was last year. CJ became the third banana. Now I don't think Mello and Hassan equal are as lethal as what Nurk was, but I think it's something you got to look out for. Like maybe maybe CJ starts forcing or whatever it may be, but right now it's working out perfectly. But you know, I mean, I think CJ's earned the right to take what shots he's want. I mean, that playoff performance was one of the best I've seen. Um, as a fan, so I think he kind of surpassed where Nurk was at last year, just carrying the team for a couple of those games, especially Game Seven in in Denver. So I think that earns you certain clout. But but I think what having Mello on the roster helps is it's not just a veteran who's a Hall of Fame player, and you respect him for what he's accomplished. He's a Hall of Fame player who can still get it done mm. on a nightly basis. So you really respect and even try to get them going as well. Like he may, he probably doesn't view Mello as his equal in terms of can still, you know, put up 30 on a given night, but he still knows Mello's got some bags left in that trick or some tricks left in that bag. So I, I think Mello just commands that respect that we were almost looking from Pal Gasol, but Gasol's obviously a little bit more, long in the tooth and probably doesn't have much left and he, he may not even play again he might just come back and back and coach and so he has that sort of respect on maybe on an, uh, an iq level or just like here's what i'm seeing but it's i think it's different for players when they're on the court with another one of their peers and you're like that's carbello anthony he can he's, he's still getting 25 mm-hmm. like i know if i give him the ball instead of me forcing it He's going to get a shot. And if we've ever played basketball, whether it's high school or, or middle school or whatever, and you have the best player on the team, the best player usually only passes to other good players. I mean, they might find someone wide open who are like, okay, I have to make that pass. But you start to see CJ look for Carmelo. Yes, that's something I noticed as well. And he always would pass to Dame. And sometimes you know, CJ's like, okay, like if I give up because I know I have a good chance at making the shot, but if I give it up to you, I'm trusting that it's going to go in Mm -hmm. and I have the confidence because I've seen you do it since 2003 that you can get it done. So I think that Melo just brings a lot of intangibles to this roster that nobody really could have foreseen just even two weeks ago. So I've been seeing this a lot on Blazers Twitter is, are you scared at all that Melo is going to replace Dame as like the leader of the team? I've seen that and I don't know where that's coming from. I honestly haven't even thought it was plausible. Uh, to me, the story is not Mello's the new Blazers leader. The, the story is Carmelo Anthony is, is playing basketball after a year long hiatus. And I don't think he has anything to do with the Blazers to, to be quite frank in terms of the national scene. The national media still could care two shits about the Portland Trailblazers. They care about Carmelo Anthony. Mm. So I, I don't think there there's any validity to, to that statement that he is somehow replacing Damian Lillard. And I think Blazer fans have to take a, a step back a little bit. And for as much as we love Dame and what he does in the community and how important he is to us, on a national scale, on a historic perspective, Carmelo Anthony is still bigger than Damian Lillard. Mm. Damian has a ways to go. Does that mean he's going to get there? He could. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, I 
he's my one of my favorite players of all time, but I think we do have to recognize how big Melo still means, how impactful he can still be to other players. I mean, you look at at Scalabissier, who said that Melo was one of his favorite players of all time to watch. I mean, you got Scal and Gary and Ant and Nasir, who were probably three, four, five years old when Melo won the title at Syracuse mm-hmm. and then went to the Nuggets and was going head-to-head against Kobe in the conference finals. I mean, he is maybe not on LeBron's level, but he's just one notch below. And I, I think myself included didn't really put into perspective what Melo means to a lot of the young players in this league and what a, how big of a story it is that, that he's back and is performing at this at this level. So to answer your question, no. I mean, Damian Lillard is the Portland Trail Blazers. When you think of the Blazers, you think Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and that's never going to change anytime soon. I think the national media is just excited that Carmelo is having this redemption story. To me, it just so happens to be that it's with the Portland Trail Blazers, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Um... Dribble, pass, shoot. Carmelo Anthony is not just a blazer for this year, but he will come back next year as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd shoot that just because of how much fun he's having. If that continues, I bet he re-ups and probably does like another year, maybe like a one-year deal. Like he, he has absolutely helped us 100% with – a lot of the things we talked about, spacing, rebounding, scoring, dude has helped us a lot. I bet you he would he would take that next year because he's having fun right now. I'm going to shoot it as well. And we probably don't have a whole lot to offer him financially, but he's, he's playing like for 200 mil. Exactly. He's playing for the league minimum right now. I, I don't know why financial reasons would, would play any sort of role in a decision for next year. And you're right, he's having fun. And I think if this continues to play out well, if we, you know, we finish stronger, he feels like he's growing a, a bond with this roster. Why not come back? You know, I know Portland isn't New York. I know you're further away from your son than you would like to be. But, you know, he's tried the big markets. He's tried winning in, in New York. He tried playing with his buddy Chris Paul in Houston. He tried going to OKC and playing with that dynamic duo with, with Russ and PG. It didn't work out. Like what Neil said, you need us just like we need you. And I think that's why it's working because as long as we still need mellow, I think he'll realize that he needs us just as much. And as long as those ratios align with one another, you know, I think you could see him back another year. I mean, for, for, for God's sake, the fans were already chanting his name at the <laughs> end of that OKC game, which was just fucking fantastic. I mean, every time he touched the ball, there was just a fever pitch in, in that crowd, and when he hit that three against Chicago uh, off of the off of the fast break, I mean, you you just saw the jubilation in his face. Like th- this is where he has been revitalized, and you know, Portland is a a great place to play basketball, and that's what he loves. So uh, I'm going to shoot it, but. You know, we've talked a lot about Carmelo, but I also want to get to a guy who you've really never wavered on. Now, I've kind of went back and forth a bit, unsure of what we're going to see. But Hassan Whiteside, it seems like the light is turning on in terms of what he needs to produce for this team to be successful. I mean, the 10 blocks were a franchise record uh, against the Chicago Bulls. He's looked much more in sync 
with Damian Lillard in, in the pick and roll, and it has really opened up our offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even what, what Dame was saying after the Chicago game was he's locked in, and you have to be locked in if you're, if you're blocking floaters because mm-hmm. that's a tough shot to block. And I guess my biggest gripe throughout these 20 games with us on is you can tell when he has it on and you can tell when he's kind of going through the motions. It's so crystal clear. So fans shouldn't expect 10 blocks a night. I think that's completely unrealistic, but you can tell when, when he's dialed in and we need him to be dialed in. If we're going to really make a, a legitimate push in the West. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that as long as we have a two healthy wings that can shoot, you're going to see higher floor games from Hassan just because of the paint. If you have the time, and I'm going to make a a blog post really focusing on this, watch the first 10 games on pick and roll, and you're going to see six people in the paint or four people in the paint with Hassan on every pick and roll. He is now having spacing, so scoring is a lot easier. That, just the ability to score on offense, easier makes him more uh more motivated defensively. This is the this is a Chris Paul saying. If you get your bigs motivated, they're going to run for you. So once you get your bigs running for you, they're going to put in the effort all game because they know they're going to get the ball when they're open. I think Dame has realized, okay, I got to get this guy involved early so he can block shots for me later. Like of course the 10 ga- block game is ridiculous and you shouldn't expect it. But I think that his block numbers are going to get uh, go up from what we've seen this year just because he looks a lot more healthy. I think that there is an element of getting him involved. But I also think there was a steeper learning curve than, than we all expected. And the injuries in training camp and then intermittently throughout the regular season, both between Dame and Hassan, have kind of stunted that development in, in regards to the chemistry between the two. Because Dame was kind of asked about, you know, what has changed. And he said, outside of LaMarcus Aldridge, every big I've played with, I've had to tell them what I want from them. You know, whether that's Mm. Robin Lopez, whether that's Scal, Nurk, Mace, Plumlee, any one of those guys, he's had to tell them, okay, here's how I need you to set the screen. I need you to read the defense. Sometimes I need, when you set that screen, I need you to move. You need to dive to the hoop. And sometimes, Dame was saying that Hassan would finally start setting the screens well, but then he would just stand there. And then then we're starting to see the progression between what Dame needs to see happen. Mm. So you get that good screen, you dive to the rim, you're going to get the ball, and that's where you're going to make those decisions to either go up, get the and one, or kick it out to your shooters. So that that's another reason why I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic this week. No one is going to, you know, light the presses on fire that the Blazers are 3-0 in their last three games and and the Bulls and Thunder are just incredible victories. No one is saying that. But it's the process that we're seeing. It's the improved play from Carmelo Anthony. It's the, the, the shot in the arm that he's provided us. It's Rodney Hood continually to be that amazing option out there on the wings. It's Damon CJ doing what they do. And now it's Hassan Whiteside really starting to prove that he is a defensive force and when he is dialed in and when that chemistry starts to get even stronger, that Dame is going to have similar results as to what he did when he and Nurk were running that pick and roll so magnificently as they were last season. Because the Blazers, when they succeed, 
they succeed off of that pick and roll. I mean, that it, yeah, Terry Stotts will say they have a flow offense, but their bread and butter when they need to get something going is the one five pick and roll, and everything kind of falls mm-hmm. in line right after that. So there's been a play that we've run recently where Hassan goes up to the the top of the key, sets the screen, but gets uh, and then they give him the ball, and then he either dribbles and does like a dribble handoff to the other wing. How do you feel about Hassan Whiteside? being a bigger fixture in the game with his passing and his screen setting at the top of the key. Cause it's starting to kind of look like what Nurk does did. Well, he's only had five turnovers combined this, this past week of basketball. So you can live with that. Whatever Terry Stotts wants to do. I'm on board with, he knows more about basketball than, than I do. And he's, you know, really smart when it comes to, putting together an offense, especially when you have different pieces to the puzzle to work with on a year in and year out basis. And for this team to take that, that next step to where we all had aspirations in the preseason, Hassan is going to have to elevate his game. And you can't just, I, w- I would say you have Dame, you have Dame and CJ and you have Hassan. You're not going to ask Dame and CJ to change their style of play to, to fit Hassan. You're going to ask Hassan to kind of change his style of play and learn a couple of new tricks to coincide with the style of play that Dave and CJ like to play. I mean, that's just kind of how it's going yeah, it to be. It just has to be like that. But I think that he has adapted. Like, well, uh, the first play of the last Chicago game, well, the first uh, offensive basket was Hassan in the mid post passing it to a cutting Rodney Hood. For the dunk, yeah. absolutely. So you're seeing, you're seeing what Terry Stotts likes in his centers. Of course, uh, Hassan isn't going to be doing what Nurk does with like a 20% assist rate, but he is passing it a lot more from the uh, high key. And sometimes if he can't get that easy dunk off of a rebound, he's kicking it out. So you're seeing him pass it more. And I I, I honestly think that he's going to be passing it more as the year goes on and as he learns the offense because a center that can pass is a huge luxury to have and he's been dotting people on cuts and for open jays quite a bit dude dudes looked like a a horse in the paint like he said on that snapchat he's been killing it man and no one needs him to be Jokic or sabonis with the ball in his hands just make the simple reads and that's what he's been doing and i think if he does that we will be we'll be in good hands because more times than not, he's going to have a size advantage down low. And I rattled off those those nine games that we lost that we probably should have won. And it's because we didn't get enough of an advantage down low for, from Whiteside. And you, you can't just rely on Damon CJ to combine for 70 points every single night. Like, this has to be a team effort. We have to get Hoodie involved. we got to get mellow. Damon CJ have to play as expected. And you're going to have to get a really solid contribution from Hassan because he is, I think under under he was, he was frankly underutilized early earlier on in the season. And I think his skill sets are a little undervalued and, and underestimated. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it kind of can come across because he has a reputation for, for dogging it a bit. And this season has been kind of a mixed bag so far, but when you see him, hit his free throws, you see him making passes out of the pick and roll, you see him catching and shooting from just foul line extended. 
you see he's got more more in the arsenal. And yeah, I know he kind of looks like he's going through the motions a bit. Or he just kind of looks like he's in, in molasses when he's making a couple of his moves. But maybe that's just how he plays. And, and I think as long as you see the effort on the defensive end, the production's going to come across on the offensive end. And, and the bottom line is we're going to need this guy to play huge. Because Hassan is not a box score player. I mean, you you can look at the box score and say, oh my god, double-double, three blocks. What a fantastic performance. But he's the type of player you have to watch to see his impact. And some of those double-doubles are a little hollow. And some just were the reason we won the game. So it's all based upon, I think, if, if we have a great December and especially start to make hay at home, I think it's going to be a lot. I think Hassan is is the overall X factor mm-hmm. because I don't think you can expect Melo to maybe play at the level he is now. But I do think we should expect this type of Hassan for the remainder of the season. Two things. One, the reason I... um give Hassan the I give him a break on some of the games where he doesn't the benefit of the doubt there you go I don't I give him the benefit of the doubt is he reminds me of a David West and the reason I say that is when he played on the Hornets he could have done one thing right if he did one thing differently with moving his feet he would be an all-pro but he never did and he was a two-time all-star which is cool but I, I saw that he could be so much better if he just moved his feet more. Never did. And then the next year we had Jason Smith. And then I realized how much I missed David West and his B-plus efforts. We can do a lot worse than Hassan Whiteside, bro. And uh, that's why I, I appreciate it. That's why I appreciate what he does. It's because... There's a lot worse centers in the NBA. We could have picked so many worse centers and, you know, we might be happy with a eight and eight uh, box score some nights, but we would never reach the height of what Hassan Whiteside could do. And that's why I take the good with the bad. And uh, second, when da- last possession of the Bulls game, Dame was ISOing. Should have passed it to Hassan. I knew Hassan was going to get the rebound. But Dave, see, we talked about trust. We were CJ trusting Melo a bit. Dame's got to trust Hassan there because I saw that. And all he was he, up. I mean, all he had to do was. Ju- the Bulls just completely went. Oh, they saw Dame. There's two to him. All he had to do was just pass. chest pass Hassan when he got the dunk. So Hassan saved Dame's ass. Oh, absolutely. But I knew that. I knew he was getting that rebound. I knew that that dude was going to get that. And, like, yo, like, you saw it. His, his Wendell Carter was mo- was shading on Dame. You knew that Hassan was getting that rebound no matter what, because I think it was like Tomas said Aransky on the covering the corner. You knew he was in a box and get that. Like, dude saved our ass twice, twice because of that end that rebound where uh, that last possession where uh, he got that game winning rebound. Well, uh, it sealed the deal. He, I mean, he saved our ass that game. Like with the rebound the last second and then the tip dunk or the tip dude save our ass. You you're gonna you you're gonna have that ten block game and that's gonna be awesome, but there might be a game in the next few that it's like, oh, this isn't a good Hassan. And I think this leads to a question that Peter asked about the third option. How in uh you gotta shout out Peter's handle. It's Rip Citizen, yes. right. So he asked how does it feel to have a 
third uh, option. And what I will say to that is, it feels great, but there's no reason that it has to be Hassan every game. We have talent where Hood could be that third option, or Melo could be that third option, or Hassan. Like We now have options for who's going to be that third guy to step up. Let's say we're playing against a team that's really good at defending centers, but kind of ass at stopping the three-point shot, which is an actual thing that happens. Milwaukee's bad. is like that. There's going to be games where our two wings step up and become that third option, and having that amount of versatility in our offensive attack is huge and tremendously valuable to us. I'd argue we'd have even fourth with three op- third options. You can add Anthony yeah. Simons as as a third option as well. So yeah, the team is starting to get some depth. We're going to be even better once we have Zach. Once we have Nurk. That's why I've been preaching long term with this squad. This year isn't the end all be all. It's basically to see what we have. But this leads me to my dribble pass shoot for you, Sage. Hassan Whiteside is going to play himself. Still on the Blazers roster through the trade deadline. Oh, yeah, yeah, I shoot that without a doubt, man. So you don't think they're going to take advantage of his expiring contract and try and move him. You think his play through the trade deadline will be enough for Neil to say, I want this guy. We need this guy. I think it's his. I think yes, but his positional. What he plays as a center is so valuable to us. But let's say Nurk comes back. Before the deadline. I don't believe that Nurk's going to be the same Nurk that we had before. That's just something that, like, you can't convince me that that dude's going to be good consistently. We need someone who's going to be good consistently if if playoffs are the the end-all, be-all goal. If that's the case, we need Hassan Whiteside for this year. I, I just don't think that there's a way that we get a Blake Griffin or a Kevin Love that's going to help us as much as having in a top 10 center at, is like for right now, I, I, I think we need Hassan if the goal is playoffs. If the goal isn't playoffs, sure, let's trade him. But uh, nothing has persuaded me that us making the playoffs isn't the goal this year. What do you think about that? I need to dribble it. I need to see at least through this month of basketball with Hassan. We, we've seen we've seen the peaks with, with him. Um, he had monster game the first time against Sacramento played Jokic actually really well opening night. This three game stretch has been phenomenal. Really had the, the franchise record with 10 blocks against, against Chicago. Man, can I tell and you about a Twitter post I was going to write before he got his 10th? I saw the, uh, the nine, 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 uh, with all of our guys. I was about, I took a photo of it and I was like, Oh, I got a Twitter post. Uh, I was going to do, uh, I hop into a back seat in the cab and rhyme until the meter says nine, 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 nine. And I was like, oh, and then he got that 10th block and my Twitter post was ruined. Still should have sent it, my dude. <laughs> uh, shoulda, woulda, coulda. But you look, I mean, he completely outplayed Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. A guy who a lot of fans said, hey, maybe throw a first round pick with, with Hassan and, and let's bring in, bring in Steven Adams. You know, Hassan, when he's on, he, he's on. And Do you think I, he's I a think- top 10 center? I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. It, it, is it an argument that he's a top 10 center? I think you you could argue it. I, I think both sides would have a valid cause. And so why I dribble that question of he's going to play himself onto the, our roster, 
is I just, I need to see it more. I mean, we've seen when he's on, we've seen the peaks, but we've also seen some of the valleys. And if we start clicking and we need to, to take advantage of this home heavy schedule in December, I think he's going to play a, a big role in it. And he probably hasn't been a hundred percent healthy either. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that front as well. Hopefully with his health returning does, um, his athleticism follow suit because he's, he has been a little flat of feet, oh, I was, especially I, finishing around the rim. So yeah, hopefully, he definitely you know, he gets, looks like I, I showed you videos of him last year, just plummeting on everybody. You know that he has that still, but I think that he legitimately is fighting through some hip and leg problems. He, do you think the the stealing of the trash cans should be a ritual for 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 the rest of the season? No, because that's fucked up. <laughs> Who steals a trash can? It doesn't take the trash. I, know, I mean, I've had my take the trash. I've had my glass bin stolen but at least the glass was gone i had to deal with that shit i mean i had to call the sanitation department that brought me a new one but that ain't right man if you're listening and you stole his trash bring that man's trash cans back i i'm shocked at how country his house looked he's out there he's out there i mean he's got a fucking mcmansion obviously we have a, a lot to give thanks for this week how was how was your thanksgiving it was pretty dope man uh my brother and i have had a off and on relationship he and i drove from uh portland to medford and uh get there it was like one of the most scary experiences of my life because uh uh tuesday on those passes it was like we left at 6 a.m because there was 70 hour winds and snow so we woke we woke up balls early and just drove and we drove in through snow and we like we're listening to the new Dolly Parton podcast and just learning about, you know, a new a new music genre that I didn't I was uh, uncultured with and really appreciate her now. But like it, it was cool. So he and I bonded and, you know, our relationships better and that's dope. And then I got to hang out with my mom and she's the perfect mom for me. She deals with my weirdness and deals with my brother's weirdness too, which is the exact different opposite of my weirdness. So she's really good at uh Talking to a uh, talking to a son who has some weird ideas of what they want to do in the future. What was the best thing you ate? Ooh. So I helped with the mashed potatoes. So you know you feel better or you feel more proud of yourself when you actually help. So I would say the mashed potatoes, but my mom made like a uh, a grown ups green bean casserole with like actual green beans, and she made a roux and uh, with mushrooms, and then the the uh, uh, the onion toppers so she 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 killed it like oh and she also made this egg dish the next day with uh, a bunch of leeks and butter and oil it was delicious uh, she she really kills it in these holidays and i'm oh so thankful for her what about you best thing i ate Ooh. uh dessert wise lemon meringue pie or the apple pie bread pudding with Ooh, some bread pudding up there in my top favorite. Oh yeah. Desserts. Some French vanilla ice cream. Olga crushed that on the savory side. As I mentioned on last podcast, the breakfast or the, the Thanksgiving leftover burritos have lived up to the hype. You got the tortilla, the homemade cranberry sauce, uh, a winter squash with a little spice to it, a little bit of red pepper. You got sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, stuffing, Put that bad boy together. Top it with some mushroom gravy. Having another one right after this podcast. Nice. 
I'm already salivating a little bit. It's just it's just so damn good. So did you spend it with the fam? Yeah, we hosted here, so you know, no family drama. You know, Lucky thank you. <laughs> thank thank God that 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 wasn't the case. Um, you know, really enjoying the holidays. Um, got the house decorated for for Christmas. Blazers have been winning. Sage, great time to take a break from our sponsors. And once we return, we will talk about the upcoming slate of games to see if the Blazers can continue the, their momentum. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, we have four games on this week's slate. At the Clippers on Tuesday, back-to-back against the Kings on Wednesday, the hated Lakers on Friday, and then OKC again on Sunday. So three or four at home. Uh, From last week, we both went one and two. I am six and fourteen on the season. You are ten and nine, so your record's starting to slip right down in the gutters just with me. So welcome to the sewers, pal. All right, <laughs> the Blazers get the Los Angeles Clippers. The first time these two teams met, it, it was without Paul George, but the Blazers were up six in the closing seconds uh, of that game. Kawhi Leonard had had a vintage Kawhi kick, and basically that that pick and roll with Lou. And Kawhi and Pat Bev and Kawhi, we could not stop. And he just got middies for days. And he really closed out that contest. And that was another game where Anthony Simons really kept us afloat. He had the first 10 points of of that fourth quarter. And the Blazers eventually fell 107 to 101. The Clippers do not play the night before. But I'm really unsure as to who they're going to rest. If they rest anyone, I'm just going to assume it's going to be full squad against full squad. So... I've been watching a lot of the Clippers because I'm interested in the usage rates when both players play, and I want to know what to do for Daily Fantasy. So you can look at Kawhi's usage and compare it to what he did in Toronto, and you can compare Paul George's usage with the Clippers and compare it to what he did in OKC with Russ. So not much difference, which sucks when I put so much time into watching. But so, yeah, you you basically just think of what Kawhi did with the Raptors and what uh, Paul George did and put them together. And it's quite scary. And then Lou Williams is kind of uh, under. He doesn't get the hype that those two do for obvious reasons, but he can still ball out and drop 30 whenever the hell you want. Um, My main concern is how do we guard those two wings? How do we guard Paul George and uh, Kawhi? Do we put? Do we have Nas play extended minutes just so he can body up one of those two, or uh, uh, 
Do you think Melo's up for the challenge to defend? Yeah, put I, I just shit. Put Melo on Paul George. I mean, we tried Alfred Minu, we tried Mo Harkless. Paul George is the type of dude. Same with Kawhi that. If he's going to hit his shot, he's going to hit his shot. There's no defender in the game that's going to stop him from from getting to a spot. I mean, they're just there's a reason they're both, you know, Kawhi's top five. I think Paul George is top 15 in the game that if they get a look, sometimes you just have to pray that that they're not going to get it. The best defense you can do is maybe denial, but you can only do that for maybe one to two possessions um, over the course of a quarter. It's really hard to deny a great player the basketball. So. I would try and play as as straight up as possible. And I think what killed the Blazers last game was their pick and roll coverage. I mean, this is going to be a test Terry Stotts. Is he going to allow Hassan to go out and try and get Kawhi Leonard? Is, is he going to switch up his coverages? Because if he doesn't, there's no chance in hell we win the game. But With if Kawhi and Paul George and Lou Williams taking uncontested minis? Yeah, you cannot let NBA players get uncontested shots. I mean, have we not forgotten how poor Terry's game plan was game one against the Warriors, where he thought it would be great to drop Ennis Cantor in coverage and let Clay and Steph come off of pick and rolls wide open from three? Like, you have to be adaptable as a coach. Hopefully they looked at the film, especially that fourth quarter, and and make adjustments. Because for me, it's going to be a different... I mean, this is a really fun matchup that I'm looking forward to watching. Obviously, we're not at full strength. But on offense, we have five legitimate options. Yes, they could put Kawhi and Paul George on Damon CJ, but then I'm going to go down to Rodney Hood or I'm going to kick it out to Mello. I mean, they're, they've been starting Mo Harkless lately. Mo Harkless cannot guard Carmelo Anthony. Mo Harkless cannot guard Rodney Hood on the perimeter. He could probably help out, but Rodney's been, been knocking down those jump shots. So it's going to be kind of like a battle of, of of styles. I mean, the Clippers have such a deep bench. I mean, Lou Will, Montrez Harrell are just phenomenal. I mean, each could be a max player in their own right, yet they're coming off the bench for this Clipper team. And, you know, we've got this really strong core of five players and also, you know, have a, have a, have a pretty inconsistent bench. So it's just going to be maybe who who's able to get to their spots and who's able to run the offense if they want because, you know, obviously it's such a, a strong talent game i mean this this is this could be two of the best teams in the western conference when it's all said and done obviously we're not there yet but you can see you can see the makings of a good team and i'm glad they're getting tested because you know you get three easy games last week okay you get some big boys now well let's see where we really are at Mm. who's your x factor for today's game or not today's but in the future tuesday's game tuesday's game it's going to be Hassan Whiteside. If you look at that first game, uh, Zubach had his way with Hassan in that first half. <sighs> and it really wasn't even close. He is going to have to be our literal X factor because he is still taller than a Montrez Harrell. Can he keep Montrez off the glass? Can he dominate when he goes up against a Zubac uh, down low? He is the one player they do not have an answer for. Mm. And I'm not saying we need a triple double with blocks, but that'd be dope. He is gonna, he yeah, (laughs) absolutely. He he's just gonna have to control the paint because if we can get our offense running that pick and roll, it's gonna it's gonna loosen up their defense to where Dame can start to attack, to where he can kick it out to Carmelo, to where he can kick it out to uh, Rodney Hood, and just the game becomes easier for everyone. But I think it starts with Hassan Whiteside, and uh, my key to the game is going to be bench scoring. I'll, I do believe we're going to get outscored just because they have the best bench in the league, but we're going to need better production than what we've been getting from, from Bayes and, and Ant. They're both have been struggling pre- pretty mightily 
over the past couple of weeks. But if we can start to get them going and they can kind of savor and just maintain our progress when our main guys go off the, mm-hmm. off the floor, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. I, it you, you kind of mentioned it already. I, I think that stopping Lou Williams is important because dude, dude can get hot against anybody. It, he can get hot at the drop of a hat. So being able to contest and be responsible on him is a big deal. And I think Bayes might be up for it just because he loves bodying people. He loves using his, his, uh, athleticism and really stopping people like getting to their spots when they're trying to dribble. So I think Bayes might have a big game against the the Clippers stopping Lou Williams from getting to the spots he likes. Again, I mean, Hassan Whiteside kind of got embarrassed. No, Hassan Whiteside got embarrassed that first half of the game. You know, you, when Barkley, Kenny Smith, and Shaq are clowning on you, you're gonna know. You're gonna hear about it. You feel me? So I think this could be a Hassan Whiteside revenge game. It's a TNT same oh, same. Sure. That, yeah. Okay. Well, like this is this is where he proves that yo that that first game was the fluke. I'm I'm here to get that ass every game from now on. So Hassan has to play big, but uh, yeah, I, I think stopping Lou Williams off the bench is a huge one. I think it's gonna be close. I'm not ready to hop on that Blazers are elite bandwagon just yet. I, I do think the Clippers are the best team in, in basketball. So even if we have a respectable performance, I'll, I'll be happy. I, I just think we're not there in terms of the depth of our roster, especially to win a road game going up against the Clippers with two superstars and the best bench in the league. So I, I got the Clippers winning in a pretty close contest. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So Portland follows that up uh, the following night with a home match against the Sacramento Kings, a team they've already seen twice this year. They beat them once uh, back in October, October 25th to be exact, in Sacramento, 122 to 112. And then they dropped the second and most recent contest again in Sacramento on November 12th, uh, 107 to 99. De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley are still out for the Sacramento Kings. So this is one the Blazers absolutely cannot lose. If they continue to drop games like this, we can basically write off the rest of the regular season because it doesn't get much easier than the Sacramento Kings, Sands, Fox, and Bagley. But Lord knows the Blazers love playing down to their competition. So you kind of have a a battle of wills here. Are the Blazers going to play like they did against the Oklahoma City Thunder where they actually came out and smacked him in the mouth? Or are you going to see what they did against the Chicago Bulls kind of post-Thanksgiving, you know, let down and having to scrap and luckily kind of came away with a victory after playing with fire for 48 minutes? How do you kind of see this one playing out, Sage? I think that we have to be very careful in passing lanes because the Kings do get turnovers via the steal or they do force turnovers. But if we can not take care of the ball, take care of the ball is what probably the most important thing and execute offensively like the way we have been. We're going to win this game. We just can't give them extra opportunities with the steals to get those second and third opportunities against us because it's a possession game. They're going to play at a very fast pace because they're young and kind of dumb. So as long as we don't give them those extra chances, those extra possessions, we will win this game. And I think Hassan's going to have a pretty big one because Dwayne Dedman and uh, Holmes, Rashawn Holmes, the guy who 
really liked a few years ago. If they're foul monsters, if we can get them into foul trouble, we can we can really do some n- dirty stuff to this Kings defense. So I, I I think we will win this game because we execute them. We out execute this team because we're better and we have a better scheme. So there's two things to watch for. On Sacramento's side, Portland has to do a good job of getting out on their shooters. Uh, uh, Bog- Boyan Bogdanovich has just been absolute nails for the Kings and off the bench just has been that spark. And he was the the reason they were able to kind of take control of that second game in Sacramento. And on, on Portland's side, you already called it Hassan Whiteside. We saw one of his ceiling games that second game of the season where he had 22-9 and nine on, on 9 of 10 shooting. Portland's going to need to to look for him, and this is also going to be the first game, first time we played this team with Carmelo Anthony in the mix. So Melo is now going to be able to draw the defense in, go up against either a, a Belinchia or a Harrison Barnes, and, and really start to go to work. So I think if the team focuses and really treats the Kings like you know every opponent and doesn't play down to them, I mean th- this is a game they have to win. Um, I think what I want to see from the Blazers is that hustle board. So you look at rebounds, steals, and blocks. If they have a higher number at the end of the game than the Kings do on that hustle board, the Blazers are going to win. And I I do think they will. They need to start protecting home court. They realize how important that is. And uh, I got the Blazers. I think we see more of an OKC performance than a Chicago performance. And it moves into probably the biggest matchup of the season to date. You have the West leading Los Angeles Lakers coming in for the first of, of three matchups this season. Uh, the Blazers play the Lakers twice in December uh, on the 6th and then on the 28th. The Lakers are 17-3. and three. They just dropped a contest in Dallas tonight uh, by 14 points. And this is a really tough 10-game stretch for the Lakers before they play the Blazers. I believe they have the Nuggets and the Jazz on the road. So we're going to finally see what the Lakers are made out of. And this is an ESPN nationally televised game, which looks a lot better now than it did just a week ago. Uh, Melo is going to be in the fold. Obviously, he's close with LeBron, but you've got AD. Uh, there is a lot to unpackage here, Sage. Where to begin? I think first and foremost, I, I, we got to talk about Anthony Davis, and I know he's no you're no fan of his any longer. But with Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, we had players to, to throw at him. Do you put Hassan on him, or do you put Carmelo? Like the Lakers were intelligent this time around in their offseason, actually put shooters around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, so you can't really double team him. Uh, what? How do you defend this Lakers roster? I think that putting Hassan on AD is oh man. Melo's AD scored against Melo quite easily in the games that we've I've seen over him. He just doesn't have the height. But also, man, putting Hassan on AD the way he gets fouls that could be a bad recipe for us because we need Hassan Whiteside in the game to get rebounds. Because I, I trust him against Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. AD draws fouls at a really high rate. And we can't afford to have Hassan Whiteside get into foul trouble. Because then, then it's over. So, man, it, it's it's a lose-lose spot, really. But I would throw... Oh, man. 
I don't want to risk uh, Hassan's fouls. So I would start with Melo and then go to Hassan and make sure that he doesn't get fouls. Is I mean Anthony Davis is like the Calvin Johnson of the NBA man. He's he's fantastic. So it's hard to have a uh, a uh, a recipe to beat him. But I would try and send pressure and get him to pass it. Like Anthony Davis in a post setting is kind of he's going to get those buckets. It, I mean, this is a tough team because they're very slow, so they're very methodical on their offense, and then defensively, they're fucking good. If you it, like, I'm I'm using cleaning the glass right now as a reference. They're good at everything defensively, man. They rebound, they they don't foul, they force turnovers, and people don't shoot well against them. This is a good defense, so this is going to be a huge test of if if our offense can be good against two big boy teams this week like the shit anthony davis is the, like there there's not many people built to defend anthony davis and especially since the one we have is gone it's like we're just throwing out options and see what sticks this game yeah so if, if i'm the blazers I, if i'm looking at a way to to beat this lakers roster I almost go back to opening night of last season where we just kind of bombarded them from beyond the arc. You know, Nick Stauskas puts up 24 points. You're playing at home. You're playing on a nationally televised audience. There's going to be a lot of hoopla. The crowd's going to be in it. I think the Blazers themselves are going to be up for this game more so than they would for the majority of the other opponents in, in the NBA. And I think our stars are going to come out and shine. And I think we're going to have to do it from beyond the arc. Because the Lakers have a lot of rim protectors in there, whether it's Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, even LeBron James. You know, they do have a lot of options to stifle you from getting in the paint. So, you know, if Cortland can can pick and choose when they do go inside, whether that's on the screen roll with Hassan. But what I love about our roster is they're not just going to be able to trap Dame and just mm-hmm. say, oh, Chief Aminu, you beat us, or Mo Harkless, you're going to beat us. No, you're going to have Rodney, you're going to have Ant, you're going to have Mello, CJ, you know, you name it. They're going to be out there, you know, locked and loaded, ready to launch. So my X factor is just going to be the Blazers three-point shooting and then the home court advantage. We're going to need some Rose Garden magic. Mm -hmm. Really, for the first time all season, the Blazers are going to need to pull from that just history of success over the Lakers in, in the Rose City. And so... You know, I'm calling my first shot of the season. I, I do think the Blazers beat the Lakers. I, I think they're going to get some momentum. And I think this is going to be the game that that really turns it around in terms of an extremely successful December. I like it. Now, if they lose, I don't think everything is gone to shit. But, but I think if they win, we're going to really see this team start to believe. Mm-hmm. And once you get a team believing, I mean, we're already seeing Rodney Hood starting to put it together with this confidence. You collectively, 1 through 14, start to believe that. Then it just starts to become a little bit easier. And, and the game slows down a bit. And you just play with, you expect to win rather than hope to win. And, and I really think it's going to start on Friday night. And I think we're going to get just a fantastic, maybe a superhuman performance from Damian Lillard. He loves playing the Lakers more than any team in the league. The statistics back that up. And, you know, we've seen vintage Dame. He may drop a 50-burger on on LeBron and the Lake Show. So this is definitely a floor game for Hassan, right? You mean as a shit performance? This might be a bad one for him. 
I don't think so. What I want to see him do is, I mean, every time we play fucking JaVale McGee, whether it's the, whether it's with the Warriors or, or the Lakers, he seems to have a plethora of transition dunks or lobs or rebounds. I just want him to neutralize JaVale and keep him off the glass. The same thing with, with Dwight. Um, I actually think he could have a good performance if we get him the ball. Like JaVale is frail. Hassan, if he gets it in position, should be able to go up and get a couple of and ones. And that, that's the ultimate, like, best case scenario. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a floor performance. I mean, we saw, like, when he's locked in, he has the timing and athleticism to block floaters and, and to get up there and, and reach, you know, for the stars and make an impact. So I wouldn't say it's a floor game. I don't think it's the best matchup, but I, I don't think floor. Okay, I like that. I, th- I think we lose. I th- I, Lakers are really good, and but uh, no, are, are they really good, or are they a byproduct of their extremely easy schedule? Both. I mean, I mean they they play. I, I'm not. I I do think they're good. I think they're a top four team in, in the West, but I don't know if there is any team that we could say. Right now, it is leaps and bounds above one another because the, the sample size is still just twenty five percent. Like we, some teams have had the benefit of being healthy. Some teams have had the benefit of a home friendly schedule. You know, some teams have had the benefit of playing subpar opponents or teams with injuries. So yes, I do think they're a scary matchup. Anytime you've got a, a two man duo of LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, it's going to give you fits. But I, I don't know if I would be you know, petrified uh, of playing them just because they're, they're 17 and three. And that is, you know, a pretty historic start. I, I think they've had a, a, a pretty light schedule. That's looking at it objectively rather than, you know, putting on my, my rose colored glasses and, and, you know, disliking everything purple and gold. I mean, they're playing who the, the schedule makers have, or have put it forth uh, for them. So it, it that's tough, but, from what I've seen and what the stats say, they're a good team. They're kind of the team that I really wish we had healthy bigs for because they do run a traditional 4-5 with AD at the 4 because he's too uh, scared to bang with the big boys at the 5 position. So, uh, yeah, they, they have Dwight Howard to take the punishment. But, like, no, I, I think it's a tough matchup because we don't have the bigs to... Uh, Hassan can only box out one, you feel me? So if Melo can box out and help, and I think this is one where we have to gang rebound because they have so many bigs. So if we if we win the hustle board, yo, we have a damn good chance. But I think the Blazers lose. I think the Lakers win. And it, that's sacrilegious. All right, moving on. For the third time this year, the Blazers will face the Oklahoma City Thunder. Beat them back in OKC on the 30th of October, 102.99, and then beat them recently on uh, this past Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, 136 to 119. Sage, this should be a carbon copy of Wednesday's performance, should it not? I mean, shit. Like, recording on Sunday the 1st, yeah, it ain't different. I don't know what the OKC can do to uh, stop us with Chris Paul kind of looking like he's meh about everything except to develop uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, who's had a pretty rough year. Um, I've, I mean, we've, we've seen this team three times in 20-plus games, so we kind of know what we're dealing with. Uh, Hassan has to dominate. Um, 
I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Dame to just drop off Chris Paul one epic time because dude does CP doesn't look interested in playing hard. He'll de- he'll defend and pass, but he ain't, he it ain't the Chris Paul I grew up watching. So I, I'm wa- I'm ready for uh, Dame to just drop a fifty burger on him and say fuck you. I mean, yeah, Mello went 9 of 11 last time they played. Uh, Rodney got open looks. CJ got open looks. You know, I, I look for this game to be, you know, 20-plus assists, winning the hustle board, and do we get four or five guys in double figures? I, I think it's a team performance where we have the talent advantage at, at every position. Do we show up and play? That's going to determine the outcome of the game. I think we do. We we know our margin of error is decreasing by by the day given the results of the first 20 games so now we got to start to to make up some ground and you you just can't drop this game so i got the blazers winning uh pretty handily so i've got them going three and one on the week and with a loss against the clippers you ye of no ye of no faith have us going uh two and two can i uh talk about a play in that oklahoma city game um Mello was backing down Chris Paul and he pulled the chair. I had to explain mm-hmm. to my mom what pulling the chair is. And I had to talk about times that I just fell flat on my ass. And then my brother joined in on times he got the chair pulled on him. And it was a good family bonding experience. Because, yo, we- the Blazers <laughs> bringing families together since 1970. Like, dude, have you? I don't know if you did. Have you ever gotten the chair pulled on you? Oh, I'm I'm certain, that, that, and I'm certain I, I've done it as well. I dude, that shit sucks because <laughs> I don't like falling down, bro. And I've I've had this body type for a damn long time, bro. I don't shit. I ain't graceful when falling, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Sage. Let us let our fans know where they can uh, they can find us. Let's wrap this bad boy so up. So you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Himalaya Podcast, Stitcher. Uh, Tuesdays two to three on Blazers Uprising on Dash Radio, nothing but Net Radio, and I am starting a holy backboard blog because I can't stop thinking about the Portland Trail Blazers. So it'll be out relatively soon. There's a lot of things I want to talk about because we only record once, and I don't want to bombard you guys with podcasts. So check out some writings, some some stuff I've been working and thinking on have, are going to be typed out and i have all the information i have i just have to make bar graphs and shit like that so keep a lookout for the holy backboard blog because your boy's a nerd and as we mentioned earlier the jazz being just 12 and 7 they're looking like they're going to fall to 12 and 8 uh down big in toronto joe ingles what happened bud so again as bad as it's been for the blazers there's only four games behind that separate us and what was considered by many national writers a championship contending team it's early there's a lot of basketball that's left to be played let's go out there play with the chip on our shoulders and just have fun and i think the results will will start to come in and uh, until next time uh thank you all for listening and let's go blazers wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night Everybody, let's go!